Today on The Breakdown, it's the 2019 Six Max $5,000 buy-in World Series of Poker Championship event. Well, one of them, because there's many World Series of Poker Championships event, but this is one of them. And there's four players left. And two very, very good players. This table is stacked anyway. Olivier Bousquet was at this table. Joe Cata is at this table. But two very good players, Pierre Calamusa and Joao Vieira, going to engage in a hand and this is interesting for a few reasons number one these two guys are friends and teammates with the same sponsor meaning they like travel together they talk poker together it's almost as if me and grant were heads up or you know playing a hand in this spot except it's for a lot more money and they're probably both a lot better than we are anyway there's also five hundred and forty thousand dollars to still be won although they've locked up over two hundred thousand dollars each first place is three quarters of a mill ball and let me say this, both these guys do what I'm going to call, before we get into it anyway, seemingly above the rim type plays against each other. I'm really excited to talk about this hand. This is a cool, important hand, I think, for both these guys' careers. Let's get into it right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. <laughs> I know I kind of went for it there. I mean, it is important for both their careers. That is true, right? It's like kind of a defining hand for both their careers. I mean, you would think so, except for the truth, which is you're saying that because they both did an Inside the Mind of a Pro, a series that you've been watching that uh, Winamax puts out. Not a sponsor, just a shout out. Um, It's a great series, by the way, on YouTube. The reason it's not that exciting for their careers is because that series, despite how good you say it is, like the video that we got this from has 700 views on YouTube. That is not what I'm talking about when I say good for their, important for their careers. I'm saying it's among the most important hands for their careers because they're both vying for their first World Series of Poker bracelet and there's four left in an event. This is as deep as either one of them I think has ever gotten in a World Series event. I could look at Yao's, Joao's uh, Hendon to confirm that. I know that's true for Pierre. Um, so, like, this is just a really, really big, tough spot, you know, to be in. And t- tough meaning, like, there's so much pressure. And if you win, it, it, it potentially changes how you're seen in the poker world and your legacy and all that kind of stuff, which I think matters to these guys. Yeah, that's Especially fair. as they're, like, getting people filming them and stuff like that. Even though, yes, they're not getting many views on YouTube. It's a TV show in France. You know, it's, they're, like, famous in France. It's just, this is the you know, um, dubbed version of that show, which is not getting any views for unknown reasons because it's a fabulous series. Man, they should really pay you some money. They, I, w- I would love that. They're welcome yeah. to. They're also, why you got to throw me under the bus with you that they're probably way better than us? Of course, I'm better than all of these players that we talk about. We know I this. Know. No. This is classic. Grant believes he's better than everyone. And I'm like, everyone's really good. <laughs> <That's> not, <laughs> Whatever. No, uh, I, I, I believe they are very likely to be better than me, of course. Um, I, th- I would guess um, that they are. They're tournament pros. I mean, that's all they think about and talk about basically all the time. They've, they've done this a lot. They're very, very good, both of them. And this is really, this hand is, I'm super excited to talk about this hand. I mean, I remember watching this and thinking, wow. And I'm glad Leo Chen suggested it on Twitter. Using the YouTube link and the timestamp, which is, of course, how you suggest a hand to the poker guys if you want us to break a hand down. Man, you're not usually much for the segues, but this time you found one. That was good. It's, I just sort of fell into it. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't really purposeful. No. It just went that way. That's, well, that's how the great segues really begin. Yeah. Which leads me to the thought of my, my new book. It's called Beginnings. Mm. About, 
getting through the world one step at a time is the subtitle. Oh, that's, you know, that's interesting because yeah. my new shoes are called stepping shoes and I've been, <laughs> I'm selling them on Amazon right now, my, my personal Amazon marketplace. So, you know, and that would be a perfect uh, sort of companion gift with your book beginnings. That's really interesting because the follow-up to my book is called Companion. And yeah. it's about how once you've established your beginnings, then you have to find a companion to begin anew. You understand? Huh. Yeah, I do understand. I really just want to thank you and all things that rhyme with the word you like, anew, which is another <laughs> word you said, because um, one of my favorite authors, Anew Harriskamp, the French author, of course, um, he wrote sure, a book yeah. about me. It's a biography. It's called Jonathan Levy. <laughs> and, uh, and anyway, it's very exciting and it's just coming out now. You can check it out on my online Amazon store. All right. We can walk down this path for hours and hours, I feel Clearly, like. Clearly, we can do this forever. Yeah. None of these things a... are true. We're actually not selling any of these things. FYI. No, that was just some quarantine madness, I think. That was what that was. <laughs> yeah, we're still, we're still inside. Yeah. <laughs> But so are you, dear listener, unless yeah. maybe you're in Belarus. Are they still outside in Belarus playing soccer and shit? I mean, Sweden, I don't think they're, uh, they're no. staying inside. Okay, well. But everywhere yeah. else, pretty much at this point. Okay, so let's, let's talk a bit more about this, about this Leo Chen who suggested it, because Jonathan mentioned that. Thank you, Leo. We appreciate that. We'd like some more suggestions on YouTube from anybody who, or on Twitter, from anybody who would like to give suggestions. And let's talk about these players a little bit, because... I don't think they're very well known, at least not in the United States. They're not for sure. Um, Maybe in France they are because of this series where they both were featured. But Joao Vieira is, uh, he's Portuguese. Is that right? I believe that is correct. And Pierre Calamusa is French. Also, I think that's, yeah. Um, First of all, yes, Joao is Portuguese and Pierre is French. I am now confirming those things. And these guys, uh, at least Joao, looking at Joao's Hendon, he's been, playing pretty high buy-in events for at least since 2012 and uh, apparently is a, a big-time guy online as well. I, I think uh, Pierre's resume is a little bit less impressive than Joao's. We can By assume that Joao, Joao might be the better player between these two players. I, I mean, Pierre seems to even say that in his uh, Inside the Minor of the Pro, which this hand is taken from, although actually this hand is in both of theirs, um, he, he refers to Joao as one of the best uh, tournament players in the world, and it doesn't seem to be trying to puff him up, seems to genuinely believe it. And I don't think he counts himself in that, in that same grouping. I mean, okay. watching him play, I think, I think they're both good, but I would think Joao is, seems to be way more like deep and thoughtful and capable of more interesting stuff and plans better and all that stuff. All right. Well, let's see what we think about their decisions, huh? Okay, let's do it. So the stage is set. There's four remaining in the six max 5K event at the World Series. Not an event you should enter if you don't feel very confident in your shorthanded no limit hold'em game these are good players and they really know what they're doing i remember uh years ago now a portland player who is you know just fine at best uh won a uh, daily deep stack at the world series for i don't know like 30k or something no i remember the story it was 16k oh it was only 16 yeah oh, no and uh and i remember him telling me how he was go- it was he had just won it the day before and he was he was talking to me in the rio and he was saying he was going to enter I think it was the 5K 6 max. It might have been the 3K 6 max, but either way, it was clearly a terrible idea. And like he was going to get his lunch handed to him for sure. Like, <laughs> boy, are you going to have to Darwin Moon the hell out of that? Yeah. You know, like you are not good enough to play with those guys. Like the end. I didn't say any of that, of course, because no one wants to hear that and no one's ever going to be receptive to that. But I sure thought it, even at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's tough to be good enough to win the 5K6 max, but these guys seem to be close enough. You know, they're sitting at that table with Joe Cata. So yeah, no, I mean, in, these guys are legit. Incredible summer for Joe Cata, by the way. Just incredible. Like, that guy just doesn't stop. What was incredible about last summer for Joe Cata? Oh, was it? Maybe you're thinking of two summers ago. It is. You are thinking of two summers ago, yeah. Well, he still did well in this event, at the very least. But not as incredible as you were making it sound. No, no, not at all. I Maybe he, uh, he like read a really good book or something last year and it changed his life though last summer too. Eat, pray, love. Probably eat, pray, love. <laughs> it's like, and I finished second in that event. This is what, what a summer for me. And then at the end of the summer, he found out they actually made a movie out of the book and he's like, oh my God, and it's Julia Roberts. Oh, it's perfect. He's like, if boy, if Keith for Sutherland was in this, I could die right now. <laughs> anyway. So in this yeah. event, we they're playing for a lot of money here. Yeah. Uh, the current the current payout is two hundred nineteen thousand dollars. First is seven hundred fifty eight k. So there is a ton to be won. And in the World Series of Poker, as we've complained about many times on this show, it's really hard to make a deal unless you really know people. Now maybe they're in company here where they could actually make a deal, but I doubt these guys know Joe Cata well enough to make a deal with Joe Cata or the fourth player. Well, um, I would think with Joe Cata, they could—they probably know enough people in between. They're like friends of friends and acquaintances that they could probably get people vouching or guaranteeing the deal or something like that, that they could probably pull that off. But I think the fourth player makes it basically impossible. And also, I don't know that Joe Cata would have any interest in making a deal. That's probably true. He's got all the money he needs. And right. Like, and he's I'm like, I'm here to win. Like- I don't want to make 250 k less than I otherwise would make, number one. I, I don't want to do anything. Also, I like being able to put pressure on people and... I'm probably more comfortable at this table than anyone else's. I've been in this situation more than anyone else. Why would Cata want to make a deal? So. Yeah. And if anybody's unclear what we're talking about, because I wasn't explicit about it, the World Series of Poker um, outright says no deals at all allowed. Like, you're not allowed to discuss deals at the table. You're not allowed to make deals. that They won't help facilitate deals. So, like, making a deal would be, like, backroom stuff that the World Series would frown upon and maybe do something about it if they found out about it. And, of course, requires a lot of trust, which... Is like a, like for example, our friend Mitch Towner, who won the Monster Stack. He was he was texting with us when he was uh, going deep in that, and when we when he was deep, we were like, "Hey, dude, just so you know, you can't make deals with these people, no matter what, because like you can't trust them, and the World Series won't facilitate that." And he hadn't realized that the World Series wouldn't facilitate that before, and it really it made him a lot of money, of course, and also made it so he wouldn't get scammed that he didn't make a deal. Mm-hmm. But knowing that really matters because I think some people sometimes I've watched this sometimes at final tables, people play for the sort of the, the anticipated deal where they're going to play a little tighter. Cause they're like, well, if that short sack just busts, there's going to be five of us left. We're probably going to make a deal, you know, and then they may play less high variance, right. You know, and stuff like that. Right. So, I mean, the, the cool thing it's be- it's shitty as a player, but the cool thing as a result as for the audience is that the stakes are truly high, you know, instead of when you're going for Right. Watching a a, tur- a high roller where they're playing for 30k because they made a deal heads up, you know, it's like, oh, I see why he made this really crazy play. It's because he doesn't care. I mean, it just it just seems to me if you're not going to let the players make deals. By the way, some of the players are making deals anyway for sure. We're just yes. not hearing about it. Um, but if you're not going to let the players make deals, you should probably have flatter payouts because the payouts are so extreme that like the fact that they that the difference between fourth place. And first place is so much money. You know, it's three times the amount of money is just super intense. You know, it's, it is. 
it's it's doesn't it doesn't seem fair. Maybe that's ridiculous, but it doesn't seem fair to me. It's it's twenty five times the buy in versus seventy five times the buy in to go three more spots. I mean, yeah, no, that's like so much luck is involved here. It's obscene, and I thought we were headed in the right direction with this, but I think that stopped where there was that party poker event maybe three years ago where it was a huge event and from ninth to first, every jump was 200 K. So obviously it was a very big event. Love that. Yeah. But they, I never saw that happen again though. I thought maybe that would become a thing, but that seems like, I mean, in the end, people are more interested in the high first place numbers. And I think a lot of the players, especially the really good players are like, why would I not want all the money to be up top? Cause my game is set up to do that. And a lot of other players are going to play too careful or fearful. And so it just, it all plays into my hands. I'm giving up EV when you don't, when, you know, when you change the, the payout structure. I don't know if that's necessarily true in, yeah, I don't know either. in events like, especially events like this, where like a lot of the players are really good and the variance of tournament play can make an elite player have a losing year. You know, you might want the flatter payouts because the payouts are still huge nonetheless. I mean, but if you're an elite player and you get to the final table of a world series event, usually maybe this is an exception, this event, but usually the events are going to have a few, rank amateurs who make it all the way. So you get to take advantage of them and you can live with the losing year as long as over time, you know, it's a plus EV spot for you. I think, I think the elite players are pretty good at recognizing what's plus EV and just driving towards that no matter what. Well, I guess because the elite players all have this irrational thought that they're going to remain elite forever and that, yeah. and when the game changes are going to change with it. But I think you should probably assume that that's not the case, no matter how good you are at any given point, sell everything. Get out of the market right now, players. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, I, I totally know what you're saying. And I think, I mean, clearly you're right to some degree. There's always the new, new thing who comes in and blows everyone away and makes everyone's life tough. And, and that's just how it is in an iterated game like this where you can see what the other people are doing so you can make really good counter strategies to it. And by the way, most of the really good players are talking about their thought process and about what they're doing now through video and coaching and podcasts and all like stuff like we're doing except on higher on really like Alex Foxen will get on um, run at once. I think you have to pay for it, but like we'll do a class on, you know, playing the small blind and stuff like that. And he's actually talking about his strategy from playing the small blind. And by doing that, ultimately that strategy is going to leak out and it's going to make what he's doing much less effective, right? As people understand it more and right. counter moves. And it's just a game that has, it, not truly infinite, but seemingly infinite derivations and, and, and game trees that you can go down. So like, there's always going to be new stuff coming out. So mm-hmm. it feels impossible to maintain elite status forever, you know, almost impossible. Tell that to Doyle Brunson, buddy. Tell it to Phil Ivey. Tell it to Daniel Negreanu. There's a few guys. Yeah, it's tough, though. It's been like a really long time for all three of those nowadays. And Doyle's not, is what, five years? It's been five years for Doyle. <laughs> but Negreanu, he was kid poker like 20 years ago. Anyway, should we get to the hand? Yes. All right. 80K and 160K are the blinds. We have Joao Vieira under the gun, with, but they're four-handed, so he's effectively in the cutoff. Yep. And he has two nines. He's got the nine of diamonds and the nine of clubs. He opens to 350K. His friend Pierre Calamusa is in the big blind. He's got 2.7 million in front of him, so he is not doing so hot stack-wise. Yeah. Under 20 bigs in the danger zone, as Joe Stapleton used to say. And he's going to call his own. Yep. As he also used to say that he did. He's going to call out of the big blind with queen four of spades. Everything seems normal so far, especially considering there is big blind anti in play. Yeah. Right. And like to be got, clear, um, Calamusa, not only does he not have that many chips, he's got under 20 blinds. He's also the clear short stack at the table at this point. Yeah. And he's so wearing his hat. He's wearing his hat backwards to show how cash he is. So that part well, that's is, important. Yeah. 
He's like, I don't care about this money. It's not a big deal. So nothing to talk about yet. Pot is 940K. The flop is three of diamonds, four of clubs, seven of clubs. Looks like I wrote that down in a funny way. Let's find out what the actual flop is, huh? That sounds right. I think it's three of diamonds, four of clubs, seven of clubs. I know it's a three and a four. I mean, yeah, it is. It's three of diamonds, four of clubs, seven of clubs. I don't know why that was hard for you. Because I accidentally wrote four or five of clubs instead of four of clubs. I didn't know if it was four or five. This is is any other podcast in the world that would be edited out and no one would ever know. But, But, you know, you get to see the whole thing (laughs) when you listen to the poker guys. All right. Three, four, seven. Um, So middle pair for Kalamusa, of course, Joao is very happy with his flop with two nines. Although, of course, it does hit the big blind range a little bit, but the stack to pot ratio makes it so that Joao basically can't make a mistake on this flop, right? I mean, also, you kind of wanted to hit the big blind range a little bit, right? Like, that's just not fine a lot. with you. Just not a lot. I mean, whatever. Like, it hits, it hits his range. You wanted to hit the range because so you, you've got a hand that can absolutely go against his range and is, is a favorite, right? Like, like if, he, if, if Joao were to bet and Pierre would, were to raise, Joao would be thrilled, right? He'd be like, cool, I'm almost, I'm like way ahead here. Well, I don't know if he'd be thrilled, but he would be happy to have an easy decision, right? Fair like, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Easy decision. Like right. he, well, he would welcome the aggression. How about that? Sure. There is something that is comforting having played a ton of poker. Like when you have a decision that is like you, when you know something might happen and you're like, if that happens, the decision is super easy. I don't have to think about it at all. Even though I might lose the hand, I can't blame myself for making this decision. It feels good. Even yeah. if you might lose, you know? Yeah, sure. Anyway, Joao is going to see bet after Pierre checks. Seems right. Mm-hmm. Obviously willing to get it in goes for 375 into 940. Do you think this sizing is good? Do you think it should go bigger because of the wetness of the board and Calamus's stack? I don't think it's as important as it would normally be because Kalamusa's stack, and again, Kalamusa, I was saying, is the, uh, the short stack of the table. Everyone else has a similar amount of chips. Everyone else has around 7 million, give or take. So Pierre is like the, the clear short stack here. He's going to play most of his hands. Like The wetness of the board is not as important. If, if Pierre has a draw, he's almost always just going to check raise big, probably all in. You know, So I don't think size matters that much here. Pierre should have a pretty binary decision of, Fold or check raise all in mostly, mostly, right? Or effectively check raise all in if he doesn't want to actually put all the chips and he's gonna, he would check raise enough that he's committed to the pot and they would be, and then Jao would either get it all in or fold almost. I don't know if I agree. I mean, like, there's a lot of hands that, like Pierre's actual hand, where he's mostly going to call any size bet rather than check raise all in. I actually disagree strongly. You do? Um, Yeah, I think any pair on this is generally a check raise. Um, when, When you're this short and you're the only short one, uh, I mean, he's got two. Board. He's got two point four million left, and the bet's three seventy five. It feels like I mean, how much is in the pot? Nine forty, and then the three seventy five on top of that, right? Right. So it's like so a two x pot. One point three million in the pot. So it's basically a two x pot shove. Yeah, but you're going to be doing this with all your clubs. You're doing this with like possibly some of your gut shots. Any pair, this, I mean, this has been proven um, just mathematically. If you basically just check shove any pair, any strong draw here, you make money. Like, so when, when you're this short. So I just feel like it's, it seems to me like, I will say this, I was surprised. Uh, so, so Pierre does end up calling, to be yeah. clear. So like, I was really surprised that he called. And 
Um, if you if you're watching inside of the mind of the pro, they're showing the World Series broadcast, and it's Bart Hansen and David Tuckman, and you can barely hear them. And Hansen cannot believe that Tuck, uh, that uh, Pierre calls. It just never occurs to him that that Pierre would ever have a call here instead of a race um, when he's this short. And basically, because you just want to deny equity and win the pot, like let's go, let's move on, or or get it in sometimes against hands that you, you're actually ahead of because you're going to be shoving clubs, you're going to be shoving. Um, enough draws here that like what hands that you're ahead of are you getting it in against um some ace highs you think ace highs are calling i think ace highs are considering calling uh, i don't think so i mean ace high clubs sure but well of course ace high clubs i think some ace highs can consider calling here um certainly ace three suited is calling um other i don't know if there's i guess four five if he has four or five, I don't know if he has four or five there. He is opening the cutoff. So four or five suited, maybe, maybe six, four suited. Um, I don't think he ever has eight, four suited or anything like that. No, um, I wouldn't expect that. I don't know if he has six, four suited either. I think he probably does have four or five suited, uh, but he may not have six, four suited here. I'm going to, I'm going to fight back on this and okay. say, I, I really would not expect a good player to bet three seventy five and call off 2.4 million with like ace 10 offsuit here. I really, I guess, really would not. I guess I wouldn't expect him to bet 375 with ace 10 offsuit then if he's going to fold it. He might check it back. Right. Um, so then, then I come, become concerned about the check shove idea if that's mm-hmm. the case. If he's going to check back his hands like that that have marginal showdown value that are worse than queen four. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I guess it's just, a, it's just an equity denial spot when you have to win the pot. Like Pierre already kind of has to win this pot, right? Now that he has something and he's not going to fold on the flop, he can't really afford to not win it. So, I mean, he like, can. He can afford to not win it. Okay, you're right. He has 2.3 million. Yeah. Uh, but there's a million, there's 1.3 million in the pot. Like it's, it's already kind of a big deal to his stack to get this win. Um, and when he has a four, it's like if he loses the pot, it's probably going to cost him more chips a lot of the time, right? I mean, it's going to cost him all of the chips. If, I mean, it, uh, the hands that he's going to lose the pot against mostly already have him beat. Right. right. Like, yeah. Right. But let's say, uh, let's say Joao has two fives here. Okay. See bet small with the intention of calling off. And now we call. Maybe that's like one of the few hands where we wouldn't lose more chips at some point down the road. Against, right? I don't Maybe see how the check, check losing the chips down the road is a good argument for check shoving where you're going to get called by those hands and lose all the chips anyway if you check shove. Well, because we're, we're trying to deny equity against all the hands we're not going to lose chips against. Like, who cares if we're going to lose chips to the hands that are beating us? It's the hands we're not, that, are, that we're currently ahead of, but we don't, but have reasonable equity against us. That, that's problematic, right? Because we're up against two overcards and we're just not going to know where we are most of the time. I think this is a slippery slope and it's starting to sound yeah. to me like a bit of a 2005 poker argument. Like let's check raise middle pair because I don't want him to hit his overcard. Dude, we have like 17 blinds though. And the pot's We're, got, the pot's got like eight blinds in it. If we had 50 blinds, I would agree with you. Like we're short enough that it's, it's such a disaster for him to have King queen here and to turn a King such a freaking disaster. You know, like it isn't like we have 50 blinds and we can totally handle that. Like, who cares about the variance? Like we want to win the pot, like the pot matters. And we have, we have reasonable bluffs here too. So we have to balance that. We like, we're always check shoving clubs, right? Like are we check calling clubs too? I think we're check shoving clubs. Cool. So what else are we check shoving? Uh, I think we're check shoving all 27 combos of two pair. 
which maybe we don't have seven three off, but we have seven four off probably. So maybe not twenty seven combos. I don't know if we have. Tw- I don't know if we have seven four off or not when we're this short. Uh, maybe we do. I'm not sure. Yeah. So I mean, like the two pair hands, five all all sixteen combos of five six. I mean, that's that feels like enough already. That is a lot, I will say. But I, sixteen combos of five six is a bluff. Clubs are a bluff. No, five, no, six, five, six, is, is, five six is the nuts. Wait, we're just going to check shove the nuts. I mean, just checking in. I, I, I think you can do that if you're going to check shove clubs. Okay. Um, and then you just want to call with all your one pair of hands. The majority of them. Yeah. I mean, maybe if I have a seven or something like that, I could check shove. So what if you have a gutter here? What if you have eight, six, what are you doing with that? Well, I'm concerned that I think I can call eight, six, actually call eight, six with what's your plan when a, when a 10 comes on the turn. Maybe a 10 is a bad example because that gives you a double gutter when a jack comes on the turn. I mean, I think it's okay to have some check folds on the turn, and that's just part of poker. Yeah. Uh, I guess I just think specifically in this situation, like when you're the clear short stack, the pot is you have like not even two to one stack to pot. You have a pair. You rate to have the best hand. Like protecting that seems pretty valuable. So you have no calls here. I don't think I have any calls here. And I, I got to tell you, I don't think Joe, I was expecting any calls here. I will say they play another hand earlier in a similar spot where it's uh, Joe has ace queen and the flop is like deuce three, five. So he flops overs in the gutter and he continues with the intention of getting it in. I mean, that's small. It's the same kind of setup. And uh, Pierre flops, I think bottom pair and check raises all in. And they both get it in and don't think anything of it and act like it's totally normal. And it's a really similar stack situation too. And neither of them are surprised by the others holding or anything, you know? And, and I'm saying all this, not just because I saw that, like I I've been aware of uh, this sort of like, well, I flopped a pair. I have around 15 blinds. Uh, that's not a lot. Like there's some, there's some tournament situations where having 15 blinds is actually significant. Right. And there's a lot, um, but we're like, I'm up against really good players and, and everyone else has got a lot more chips than me. So playing high variance is not a bad thing. Uh, the, the check raise all in is like a very normal standard. I should say standard play. Maybe normal is the wrong word. Standard. Doesn't mean to say it's optimal and maybe it's not, but I will say it's certainly standard at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I don't think it's 2003 or 2008 mindset. I think it's 2019 mindset to be clear. I, I understand your points. I just feel like maybe it's because I'm not playing in enough fields where I'm against three elite players and I have to do stuff like that, but I would never in a million years at the final table of like a $500 tournament, consider check shoving this on this board. I don't think I would either to be fair, unless it was like, unless it was like the roughest table of all, you know? Um, But that's kind of the point, right? Like if you're like, well, I can really figure out where I'm at on turn and river against this guy, like play almost perfectly and 14 blinds or 15 blinds is way more than enough to like do well against these guys forever. They're going to make mistakes that I can capture value from down the road in this tournament. That's really different than it's Joe Cata. It's Joe. It's this other guy, Jamie, who they all know and is at least pretty good too. Um, where it's like, there's nothing to be gained necessarily from, from making the careful play now. Not nothing to be gained, of course, but there's little to be gained, less to be gained, I should say, from making the careful point out. Anyway, it's an interesting conversation, and it's possible that much like 
the plays we saw 10 years ago that this play is is ultimately even if it's mathematically correct i think it's been like proven mathematically that this makes you chips just against check, check against check a perfectly balanced range probably um not against like a solver range but yeah probably probably against like someone who's trying to play correctly against you yes i think like gto so yeah fair enough um but that that may not matter ultimately right and like is there a better exploit exploitable play here right um, is a fair question i'm concerned if uh if Joao was checking back all of his ace highs that aren't clubs, I wonder if the range is profitable for us to check shove against. And I know Pierre is assuming that Joao is checking back a lot of his ace highs because of some of the stuff he says in the inside of the mind of the pro on the turn, oh, yeah. which okay. we will get to. So anyway, I, I like Calamusa's decision to call. Obviously I've made that clear. I, I suppose you are okay with it, but also think it is not what elite players mostly do. That is exactly right. I actually, I've been sort of taking a very strong stand on this, but I personally would probably default to calling here too. And like, because I believe 15 blinds is really valuable. Um, but I don't, but I do believe that the strong players, like you name Jake Schindler or whatever, you name guys like that, Jason Kuhn, that they're mostly check raising here. Right. Right. In spot. But, and I think it's a valuable discussion. I think it, that ultimately you may be right in the end as, as far as elite fields, but I also want to caution the listener that if you're not playing against elite players, which most of you are not almost ever playing against truly elite players, because it's hard to find those fields and it's hard to find those players to play against, you're, you're just puking money into the streets if you're check-shoving this hand on this board against, against fields of bad players. That's fair. I mean, I, I don't know if puking money in the streets may be a little strong if we think like there's basically, a, if, you're, if you're doing the GTO play, it can't be that bad. Right. Like, I mean, but, do, but, but against bad players who are going to be face up with their decision making and their hand, you know, and whatever they have, I guess you, there's just better options. I guess it depends on right. how good you are. But like, I feel yeah. like over the course of my poker career playing in Portland and playing everywhere, like I would have made so much less money playing pure GTO than I did playing exploit against all of the bad players. Of course, no. of course, of course. That's true for everybody. Yeah. Anyway, he does call. We yeah, both love it. Jonathan especially loves it. I don't hate it. I just was really surprised. Well, to your point, the stack to pot ratio gets a, a little scary now. 1.69 million in the pot heading to the turn. And, uh, just, and Pierre has how much now after he makes the call? 2.1 or something? Yeah, something like that. 2 million? Yeah, I mean, here we are, right? So now we're, we're not committed, but like, what, what is our plan on the turn? Like, the, I think it's important to asking this question if we're deciding to call here, right? So... If we check and a jack comes on the turn and Joao bets again, are we just folding? Yes. And we're just doing that. So basically, if he bets again, we're just going to fold unless we hit a queen or a four. Depends on the card. What card are we going to keep going on? If a seven comes, I guess we feel like we can continue on that. Yeah, um, or three or something like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, a seven or a three. A deuce. Yeah. If he bets again, we're just going to keep going and hope he doesn't have an overpair or a seven. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, anything over a seven, like an eight or a nine? It's close. Yeah. I'm just saying there's, he's got a lot of hands that are going to be able to bluff us. If that's the case, I'm a little worried about us getting over bluffed here. Is, or us overfolding here. Is that really going to happen though? I mean, like on this board when you're the big blind, I mean, it's a fair question. We almost always have a showdownable hand, right? Like you said, we're, we're not check calling our draws here, right? Like, yeah. Ever. Doesn't Ever. seem like it. Yeah, so that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, what else is fair is the deal that Nitrogen Sports gives all of you 
when you sign up using the link in the description of this podcast. And that deal is access to the greatest overlay tournament that I've ever heard. I, they've been doing it for how long, Jonathan? Like a year and a half, two years? Oh, more than that at this point. I'd say a solid two and a half years. It's absurd the amount of money they've given to the people who have signed up using the link. It really is absurd. I know this is an ad, but it's like how, how many tens of thousands of dollars have just given away at this I point? Mean, I don't even know anymore. It's just, it's uncountable, Grant. But literally, I would say, I'm just guessing here. I'm thinking out loud, but I would guess they've given away at least 30, 35K. Yeah, which right. is crazy. And by the way, in order to buy into this tournament, it's 0.1 millibits, which is not that much money. Yeah. So it's like 70 cents. Right. It's, that's the buy-in. The guarantee is 100 millibits, which is you know like $700, um, yep. you know, depending on the price of Bitcoin at the time that you play the tournament. And... They don't even let more than 300 players in. Not that they've even gotten 300. They've gotten up to 180 in the quarantine, you know? But, <laughs> but, they, but if somehow everyone's like, that, this is a great deal, I'm going to play it, they cap it at 300 players. So you're always guaranteed 700 buy-ins are put in there no matter what, more than the players, than the, right. than the number of players are there. It's always, everyone's always getting at least two and, change, two and a third to one on their money. You're guaranteed that. But it's better than that. It's always way better than that. It's always you have like to be, five or six or seven to one. You have to be so bad at poker to not be plus EV in this tournament. I don't and know. Honestly, if, if you're that bad at poker, this is a good tournament to play anyway. It costs 70 cents. <laughs> this is a good place to get better where like there's some extra money in there. It's, it's just amazing. Yep. That's all. I'm done. Yep. I'm done. I can't talk about this anymore. It hurts me too much. It is painful, but what's not painful is using the link because that's the only way you access the tournament. When you sign up for Nitrogen, you have to go through that link in the description of the podcast and get you some poker. Back to the hand. Back to the hand. Pierre Calamusa has check called the queen four of spades on the three, four, seven, two club board, starting as a short stack, starting with under 20 big blinds. We've got Joao Vieira with two nines, the nine of clubs and the nine of diamonds, who has C-bet the flop. The pot has 1.69 million in it. The turn is the ace of diamonds, which in Kalamusa's mind, and this is what I was referring to earlier in the mind of the pro thing, um, Kalamusa thinks that's a good card for him because he's saying that he could have aces up now and he could have ace six uh, or ace five and that he could have ace nine or ace eight and have floated. That's what he said, at least. And Really? And that Joao does not have those hands and that Joao does not have ace high because he didn't check back. Okay, I got to ask a question or two about this. So Pierre thinks he's not going to, four-handed isn't going to be raising ace-nine pre to shoving with his 19 blinds. I mean, it's possible he was just saying that kind of offhand as he, as he was doing the video and not thinking about it. Yeah, like I think he has very few aces in his range here because pre-flop he's just going to shove most of them. Well, he described it as a good card. Uh, his first point was that he could have made aces up. That was his first point. Yeah, I have a hard time buying that one. I do buy the notion that... Uh, because we were saying like we Zhao probably is checking back some of his aces here. And so right. like the fact that he bet means he doesn't have that many aces except like aces up himself or maybe like not flush draws or maybe he's, you know, maybe he's betting some of his aces, but not, not too many. You would think like if he has ace queen. It's a weird time to bet on that board where yep. he's going to get shoved on a lot. This ace is by the way, the second diamond, which yes. uh, might, might matter in the end. So Kalamusa is going to check. I yeah. guess maybe his plan is to check shove if, if Jao bets, but I don't know. I mean, that sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. You, I mean, all the things we've been arguing about, that would be the worst decision of all the possibilities, all the game tree branches we've talked about so far to me. 
Yeah, I agree. But just the way he was talking about how he thought it was a good card for him to like be able to represent was interesting. But maybe that was also a bit of an offhand remark. I'm not sure. Maybe he's thinking like if it goes check, check, he can rep it. But maybe. like if Joao bets now, I mean, first of all, Joao's going to bet enough that like he can, I mean, he's calling if he has anything at all, if he, you know, if he bets, right? Like it's a one-to-one stack the pot here nearly. Um, I, I just think it's a clear fold if Joao puts money in right now. Like, yep, there's no, I think there's, that's right. Like we've engineered this spot where we can get away from the hand. This is one of the cards we 100% are getting away from. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. So interestingly enough, it does go check, check, which yes. kind of points to Joao thinking, okay, I don't actually have too many aces in my range. It, it could be that. It could also be just confusion around why is Pierre just calling on the flop? What kind of hands does he have that he can just call with here? Um, yeah. I would be really worried about not the ace, but just like I would assume he has a monster that he could call. So I'm obviously wrong. But I would be really worried about I'm just beat here, and that sucks. <laughs> but also, it's hard to get action when you have nines and the ace comes, right? This is the problem. Like, if, if somehow Pierre does have a one pair of hand, if we bet this, he's probably going to fold. That's not good when we have two nines. Right. I, I bet would mostly be equity denial. Uh, right. And it would be denying very thin equity because we're not expecting, as we said earlier, Kalamusa to show up with too many draws having not check raised. So, he doesn't have massive equity against nines if he has like a worse hand than nines that has equity against nines, right? Usually it's pretty small equity. It's, I mean, usually he's got five outs, right? Yeah. Like it's hard to imagine him having more because any draw you figure is going to raise, like you're saying. So it's five outs where he's already got his beat. Those are the only two things. The issue with checking, and I think this does not outweigh the other things, uh, but the issue, issue with checking for Joao is now his hand type is kind of face up, right? Like he... I would immediately be putting him on a pocket pair between the seven and the ace if he, when he checks back here. He could just be, yeah, because you think he'd bluff it if he had like king, jack 10 suited or something like that. Yeah, and I think he like, would probably bet his big aces just to be like, okay, we can get it in now. Like, yeah, and he could bet small. He doesn't have to bet big with both of those, with his bluffs and with his big aces. Yeah, he's, if he's going to bet bluffs, he has to bet his big aces too. Yeah. He just bet like 550K, give the illusion of fold equity. And right. never fold. Yeah. So I think that is the issue with this check is that it looks a little face up, but it's okay mm-hmm. to be face up sometimes when it's the lesser of all evils. Yeah. And we're short enough that you may just think like, well, he didn't check raise all in on the flop. It's a weird spot. Um, I think, I think Jao might be thinking this exact thing. I don't remember what his thought process was anymore. I've, I have watched his episode of this hand as well, but whatever. Um, but like, it's just, you're already in a weird spot. And so I think this ace makes it, so you're face up. It's okay. Like you're saying, it's like, you know, sometimes sometimes it's obvious what you have. What are you going to do? Right. And you we can, could also be just giving up, although we just wouldn't. We just wouldn't on this card, would we? We just would never the, give up a bluff here. And sometimes the knowledge that you're face-up and the knowledge that your opponent is good enough to recognize that you're face-up can help you make decisions in the future as well because That's it can... Right. I mean, it begins a bit of a leveling war, which is a dangerous thing to go down, but like you can use that information to your advantage as well if you're both aware of it. Yep. As long as you know what, what it looks like, you can do something with that. Yeah. Anyway, it does go check, check. The river is the five of hearts. It does make a four straight on the board. There's now a three, a four, a five, and a seven on the board. Three diamonds, four clubs, seven of clubs, ace of diamonds, five of hearts. So now Kalamusa decides, okay, I guess I'm probably losing, which is a fair thought when it goes check, check on the turn, right? You'd expect to be losing most of the time. Right. Yes, that's correct. Because like we were saying, if we're winning, that's a bet for Jao on the turn. Right. And uh, Joao also probably 
doesn't have that great of a hand. We also know that, right? Usually not. So he could have hands like ace two suit or something like that, where he checks back some of his weaker aces too to like induce on the river. But mostly he has more of what he has, like what it looks like he has. You know? Right. And um, so from the inside, the mind of a pro, because Calamus is going to take a shot at this in bluff. Yeah. Um, but he kind of chastises himself and says, I now realize that my stack size was perfect for a check shove and I should have done that instead. Oh, really? I oh, disagree cool. with, I actually disagree with him because if Joao has the type of hand that it looks like he has, Joao's just going to check back. Like you're not going to get your opportunity to check shove. Be- oh, he, he means on the river to check shove. Yeah. Right? I, I, I mean, he knows Joao pretty, pretty well, but that board is rough. And you would think Joao is going to really struggle to get value with two nines on this right. board. Yeah, so, so if, you make if Joao good. is face up and Kalamusa recognizes that, I, I disagree with his posthumous assessment of his play. I think he was correct to take a shot this way instead of trying to check shove because I don't think he was going to get the opportunity. I agree with you. I'm with you on that one. All right, so you're Kalamusa. You're going to bet. How much do you want to bet? And what are you saying you have? Okay, I think we want to rep seven six here a lot and four six stuff like that. Three six suited, sure. Yeah, um, those are reasonable holdings for us for sure. Two pair, um, we can rep two pair. Yeah, I was just gonna say four five seven five also makes sense. Ace Anything three, reasonable. ace four, ace seven. Yep, yep. There's, so there's there's a bunch of hands that we could have here if we were gonna call one pair on the flop. Uh, the question is, how should we size it? Well, we want to size it to look like we're trying to get called by a pocket pair between the sevens and the ace. Okay, but how's the best way to size that? Like, do we size it by going small to look like we're, quote, going for value? Or do we size it big by shoving, let's say, to make it look like we're desperate? And then he's going to, you know, you could like, you could go down this leveling war a million. This is another leveling thing, right? Yeah, the leveling war makes it tough, especially considering we know that these guys are pals and they talk poker all the time. Exactly. It changes things because you could, you could go a bunch of different ways with it. Like betting smaller means that from a mathematical perspective and traditional perspective, you can represent a wider range of value because you're saying, I want to get called by weaker holdings and therefore I can be betting four or five here, you know? Um, if you go bigger, you can be more polarized and you could say like, well, I would bet bigger even with four or five against you because I know that you're going to have a polar response to this and I should bet big anyway with my two pair if I'm going to bet big with my straights because yeah. I don't have enough straights. This is so, one of those, is my opponent a feel guy or a math guy, right? right. Like if the math guy, we should probably go bigger for bluffing. If he's a feel guy, we should probably go smaller for bluffing. Well, Kalamusa goes pretty small, but not tiny. He bets yeah. 600K into the 1.7 million chip pot. That's small. That's, That's he's, small. he's really trying to make it look like he has a straight and is trying to get called by two, like a seven, not a seven, I'm sorry, uh, seven, eight, but probably even more than that, like two eights or two nines, right? Or tens or jacks or queens or kings. Any of the, they're all really of the same. Of course. Um, yeah, I think, I think so. I think I like the sizing. I think like without knowing anything about their their leveling war that they have personally. I, I, I kind of like the sizing and I think it represents well what he's trying to do saying he has two pair of straight. I want to go a little bigger. My, my instinct is just to bet a little, a little more here. Um, I worry about, and I don't know enough about Joe out to know what, whether how feel or mathy he really is. I think he's kind of both. So it's a little harder to know, but I just want, I just hate giving him this good a price. Like, Holy moly, what a price when we know he's got a hand that's that, is going to maybe if he's doing the math, he's like, well, I don't have to be right very often. 
you know, and I know I could do lots of things with that, but that is a number one consideration for any mathy player, right? It's like, boy, if I only have to be right 27% of the time, I can call a lot here, you know, and yeah, that's true. And along, along with that, you have the knowledge that like this guy is the short stack. If you call and are wrong as Joao, it doesn't really affect your tournament that much. It doesn't kill you too bad. But the difference between calling and being right and folding and letting Kalamusa have this pot are huge as far as the implications of how the rest of the tournament's going to go unless Kalamusa quickly doubles up because now Kalamusa is in the spot where he's going to be desperate. He's going to have to shove basically within two orbits. Yeah. And that's a great spot for you and the rest of the table that's not Kalamusa. Yeah. And, and as Joe out, like, like you're saying, if we call and we lose, we still have a lot of blinds. We still have a good chip stack. We're fine. We can, we're not in any trouble in any way. We still have all the moves we, we had before. We can still make them all pretty much. It's fine. Okay. We're not the chip leader. We're, we're a little bit behind the other two Kata and, uh, and Jamie, but that's okay. It's, we're not wildly behind them. You know, it's fine. So all that, all of that said, yeah. It's not a great spot. Like, nope. Terrible right now, spot. I would strongly consider folding two nines here. <laughs> yeah. Having said all that, Joao is in the tank for a very, very long time thinking this through. Yeah. So I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe you do because you saw his inside the mind of the pro. Yeah. But what I would be thinking is okay, is this a good representation of, of these good hands? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, like, I, I can think of a lot of sixes that Kalamusa can show up with, let alone two pairs. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, um, I, I did watch his inside of the mind of the pro on this hand, and he's thinking a lot of things like his first question he keeps asking himself is basically, so can Pierre really have a bunch of one pair of hands here? Like he has to call with one pair on the flop and then turn it into a bluff right now. Like those are the things. But then he, he ultimately decides that, Yes, he can have that. Like if he's calling on the flop, it's mostly one pair of hands. So, okay. And that's, that's, so he was winning on the, so Joao was basically determined he was winning on the flop a lot. And, uh, and then the, and he knows Pierce capable of being bluffy here. He knows that he knows him well enough to know that, which is a right. big part of this whole thing. And turning a showdownable hand into a bluff. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and of course, Joao is good enough to understand that when he checks back the ace on the turn, like we're saying, he's kind of face up here with like eights, nines, tens, jacks, whatever. A, po- a po- pocket bear below the ace and above the seven a lot. Uh, or a seven itself, I guess, even. Yeah. A lot. And, uh, and that that's a good spot to take a shot that Pierre could take a shot at. A good hand. Right. I'm just concerned that combinatorially, we, for, we have to make these leaps to, to assume that he has these one pair hands in the first place, that yeah. he would just check call with him on the flop, and that he would decide that the showdown value was not good enough. You don't have to make much of a leap to put him on a six or two pair. Those are, those are unleap, unlept. <laughs> those are easy to figure out. Like well, seven, I mean, six. I mean, all the one pair, the whole like what one pair of hands does he have on the flop? Anything that has a six in it was a one pair of hand on the flop, right? So. Sure. But I mean, I think the bigger leap is that he's turning the one pair hand into a bluff on the river. Whereas of course he's betting a six on the river. That is fair. Um, the thing is because of what happens on the turn and knowing Pierre is really bluffy, you could decide as Joao, he is turning those into a bluff now. He can do that. He's capable of it. And the, the whole thing lined up pretty well for him to do exactly that. And so it's really close. It ends up being really close. And this is another reason why I think, boy, like making it cost a little bit more maybe is a good thing when it's really close. You know, like let's activate that math part where it's like, well, gosh, I have to be right kind of a, I have to be right 35% of the time or something instead of it being what it is, which is, you know. I mean, it's just, I mean, how much he bet 600 into what? 1.7. 1.7. 1.7. 1.7. 
Okay, so it's 600 to win two. So it's like, yeah, it's like 21% of the time for break even. And it's okay to be wrong from, from Joe's point of view, right? Like that's, so uh, well, it's, it doesn't have to be like, well, some of the time he's got a six and sometime he doesn't 50-50, right? Like he can have a six 77% of the time and have one pair of the rest and we still, it still makes us chips. That's don't forget about two pair. I think he would, it would be an easy value bet with two okay. pair. That's fair. That's actually a really good point. So combinatorial. Go ahead. Combinatorially, Pierre does have a lot of value, but yes. if you make the assumption as Joao and you just decide to go with the assumption that he's turning all of his one pair check calls on the flop into a bluff, that's a combinatorial gold mine. There's like a ton of those, and that probably <laughs> gives you enough. Yeah. Um, then you have to analyze your own hand, two nines with a diamond in the club. The flush draw shouldn't play a huge part based on the stack to power ratio that we're dealing with on this. Right. But these are the two worst nines to have if you're going to choose the two worst nines to have. I mean, the nine of diamonds doesn't really play into it at all, right? It shouldn't. There's it no, shouldn't. There was no, like, I guess the backdoor diamonds, but they're probably, I guess they are still the two worst nines to have. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, what I'm saying is they're not a big deal, but they are the two worst nines to have. They, they, should, they really shouldn't factor into our decision making, though. I think. And then distribution wise, we're not very high. Like, if our distribution no. is what, seven, eight suited, maybe seven, nine suited, we're not sure. Sure. So, Let's say seven, nine suited. What the hell? All right. So that's six combos. Then pocket eights gets us to 12 combos. And then nines is the next one. And then you have every pocket pair above nines and below the ace. So we're like, if it, I guess if we only have to be in the top 60, 79% of our distribution, then like we're probably good as far yeah. as that. I don't think, I don't think nines work well as a blocker here either in terms of, I mean, we do block the straight, right? Nine six. Oh, what? You mean nine six? We block nine six. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing really happening there. Um, yeah, so it's it is true. It's pretty low on our distribution. But then if we again, like you're saying, if we go back to math, it doesn't have to be that high. So, I mean, it's it's a really weird hard spot. I think I would default towards folding pretty much all the time. I would. I think I would too. But Joao, after his extremely long tank, does make the call. Yeah. He, one of the things Joao is always doing, so he tanks a long time constantly. This is the longest I think he tanks in all of the video I've seen of him. And I've seen numerous episodes with him now, but he tanks, he takes a long time in every decision and he's always like looking for physical tells and absolutely gets them on people and makes decisions based on that. Like he made a big call off uh, when there were two tables left with Kings on an ace high board where him and the other big stack in the tournament, the other big stack effectively moved him in. And it was like for like more than the pot, I think. And he like took like several minutes, saw the same tell multiple times and the guy and finally called with Kings and was right. Uh, it was pretty cool. So he's, so that's one of the things he's doing as he's saying, he's trying to pick up something up here and I don't think he does successfully do it. So then he's just going over the combos of bluffs versus value. And yeah, I guess he just was taking a long time doing a little math probably. Yeah. But ultimately, that's what he's doing. He's just thinking of what are the hands he can have that I can beat and like comes up with a number of them. And queen four suited is one of the hands he mentions, of course, uh, which is kind of cool. And ultimately, he puts the chips in. Yeah. And uh, this is basically the end of Kalamusa. He does not go any further in the tournament. I mean, he gets to play more hands, but he goes out fourth. Yeah. And, uh, and Joao ends up winning it. Yeah, he gets it in actually with ace seven off against Joao's ace king. Flops a seven, but king on the river. And that's the end of Pierre. And Joao wins the whole thing, wins his first uh, bracelet. Beats cool. Kata heads up. It's pretty cool. That would be nice to do. Beat Kata heads up for a bracelet. Oh, man. 
one of the few things in life that actually sounds really satisfying right now. That and like a, a Snickers bar. Lasagna. Yeah. Not a big lasagna guy. Never been a big lasagna guy. Well, now you are. I've officially made it, so you are. You changed me, man. Yeah. And uh, on that, we're done. You're not going to show every single MC how it's done right. Every time I come by, I'm bound to leave them so tired. I'm sipping on liquor, a quitter is what I'm not. We got one life. And I took a minor break, but I'm back to claim the throne. I'm going to be traveling the globe. We still have time to make